CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This Ben Jarofsky show holiday special is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Boat of this time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. What is it? Wednesday, December 30th, 2020. The year's about to end. And the headline in my beloved bright one, home delivered as always, is, well, there's a number of headlines I could choose from. D. I think I'll go with this headline, uh, which just sort of sums up so much what has been uh, in the news as of late, uh, as of late as in the last nine months. First U.S. case of COVID-19 variant reported in Colorado. Happy New Year's, everybody. There's a mutant form of the COVID coming out, which is even more dangerous than the one where... Uh, I thought we were going to be over. All right. Um, as we do with all uh, bonus uh, shows, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. My name is Ramana Hussein, and I'm an assistant editor, um, an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, the Ramana Hussein, who comes on the show every Friday. She hasn't been on the show for the last two Fridays, so I begged her to come on to do this special bonus, and she was very nice uh, to uh, indulge me and come on. So I appreciate, uh, Ramana, you coming on your on your Ben Jarofsky show day off, uh, as it is. I know I work you really hard on this show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're um, a very, very good friend uh, to me and to this show. And one of the things... Um, that Ramon and I have done every Friday, pretty much all year. Uh, we we mix news, we mix, we talk culture, we talk like workplace relationships. Uh, we we really pretty much cover everything and movies and books, etc. and so forth. So I thought it'd be a good idea to sort of kind of wrap up the year uh by the time you hear this ladies and gentlemen it'll be a new year hopefully 2021 will be better than 2020 uh so we'll cover a lot of the the turf uh that we've covered uh, throughout this past year ramana uh some of this is grimmer than others uh what is i'll leave it up to you should i start with the grimmer stuff or should i start with the happier stuff your choice we, we could start with the grimmer stuff and then become happy i mean i know it's been a tough year both you and dennis lost a parent this year correct yes, yes. so um it's just been a hard year um you know the pandemic's one thing that sticks out and then the george floyd uh, killing and everything that is sued after it. So those are the two serious things. Well, let's talk about the George Floyd uh, murder uh, as well and the profound impact it had. Uh, and it, here we are in December, and it's really hard to for me to conjure the, the depths of feelings that uh, George Floyd's murder sparked in so many people. Uh, and I uh, you know, I'm I'm a lot, I'm a generation older than you, uh, Ramana. So I feel like I've lived through 
all of these things at least once before. Uh, but what was it in your in your estimation, looking back, about the murder of George Floyd by those policemen in Minneapolis that just grabbed the country the way it did? I mean, because policemen are shooting black I, people all the time. I what was it about I, this? Go ahead. I tell you, I admit I was a little perplexed. I'm not saying that this um, this killing by at the hands of a police officer didn't deserve the attention that it did. It did. But my question was, what took so long? Because there have been similar incidents that happened, um, you know, even within like the last couple months before George Floyd. I think with George Floyd and what people are trying to explain to me is that it was on video. And was it um, was it almost nine minutes that the officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck? Mm -hmm. I think it was the duration of time and I think it was just the video evidence that really got people talking. And I think that's what gets people talking. I don't know what caused um, just a reaction throughout the world because it wasn't just in the United States. It was in countries all over the place. I mean, you know, there was just this week um, in Boston, the, um, the statue um, of Abraham Lincoln with the slave sitting down at his feet was taken away. Mm -hmm. And we saw, you know, a slew of statues like in the United States, like people are questioning whether they should be there or not. And some were taken down. We had the Columbus statue in Chicago um, that was airlifted after people had come to protest. I heard that, like, you know, there's 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 statues even overseas. I was listening to a podcast in England where, um, you know, there were statues that were taken down or there's like people proposing that they take down statues of, you know, these slaveholders or people who had slaves and then even in a place like india you know colorism is a big problem and they have these things called fairness creams they changed the name of the fairness creams over there because you know they put the whole thing with uh, george floyd and i also noticed a lot of backlash one of the things that was interesting is just because all of a sudden people were like you know black literature was like increasing people wanted to go to you know bookstores and buy books and uh, and it was just a little perplexing to me i don't know maybe because i was raised as a person of color in the 70s and 80s i was always interested in you know people who were treated differently because of the way they looked and their color of their skin so i was always you know into the civil rights and reading about um you know i read malcolm x when i was 17 but all of a sudden people wanted to read about this stuff and people are like oh racism exists which is kind of weird to me because i'm like yeah it's always been there and then i kind of saw this shift where people like were going out of their way, you know, I want to be an ally. And it was just funny. And because, you know, a lot of people are, you know, put it posting, a lot of businesses were posting Black Lives Matter, you know, even in the journalism community, um, people were, you know, the journalists or a lot of people are tweeting like Black Lives Matter. And then there was a backlash where people on Twitter were like, well, actually, I worked at this publication and it wasn't all very friendly to minority. So I thought everybody was just kind of unleashing you know, all the, you know, the wrongs they faced as people of color. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, just people reacting to it in so many different ways. And, you know, we saw the rises of the Karens and people calling out the Karens um, in the male versions. I don't know what they're called, but it, it was, it just, it has really, it did touch a nerve in some way. I don't know what, I, I think besides a video, I can't think of anything else that makes it different than any other you know, African-American man that was, you know, unarmed African-American man that was killed at the hands of a police officer, but it really touched a nerve and, you know, there was protests and around the world. Well, I can so. tell you, I can tell you, um, 
uh, listening to uh, you talk brought back the memories and the video in my mind. And uh, I'm not speaking for all white people when I say this, um, but when there is, uh, just follow me on this one, Romana. Yeah. When there is uh, a highly uh, publicized murder of a black man by a police officer uh, that emerges in the news, and so much of the conversation that white people have is an exploration of what that black person did to warrant the murder. And it's not like a conversation that you're going to hear a lot of, but mm-hmm. white people are like, well, they'll be like, there's more to that video than you saw in the video or, well, you got to admit he fill in the blank. He, yeah. What ran the wrong way or didn't run the wrong way or said the wrong thing or you know what I mean? It's like white people, there's like the tendency and I know this because I've been around white people my whole life. There's a tendency to try to come up with an explanation. The murder of George Floyd, there was absolutely no explanation that anyone other than a stone cold racist could come up with to quote unquote warrant the murder of George Floyd. The cop had, was not under no threat, had his hand in his pocket. You know what I'm saying? It was like looking up with this kind of, you want to mess with me? Look on his eye. And I, I don't, I, there was just something about it that was just so blatantly, we can get away with anything we want. So don't mess with us. I think that like stirred people. What's your thoughts? Yeah. And that's what I think. I think it was just the nine minutes because there really wasn't anything before. Right. That could have happened. I mean, when you're sitting there for nine, was it, it was nine minutes. Right. I'm like, I hope I'm using the right term or nearly nine minutes Yeah, of, of him just sitting there, you know, with his knee on, you know, the, on George Floyd's neck. So I think it was the duration is that I do think it's a duration because there couldn't have had anything could have happened much could have happened before or yeah. after it was just like that was the video. Yeah. And I think that's burned in people's heads. Uh, and then of course there was, we're in the middle of a pandemic and there was just, this people just exploded, you know, there's yeah, just like, that is true. And I, I did, I was listening to a podcast. Um, I have to say, um, and they were talking to some experts and they said, the reaction that you know because there was actually it's it this podcast called code switch which is on npr it's a great podcast it's it's funny because they were talking about how they've been around for a while but now everybody's noticing the podcast because they talk about race and they had experts and they were talking about how you know they said that the whole show was why are white people all an outrage all of a sudden now and they said the pandemic had a lot to do with it because they said it's kind of like being in prison right now and everybody's in prison like locked inside their house and the outrage they said the pandemic did definitely help with getting people angry and and not saying that's the only reason that people got mad but that was kind of like you know all you needed was a match to light you know the way people are feeling and just being caged in and it was kind of like a prison riot where the white people were joining in uh and you also mentioned one of the other um 
moments of the year having to do with Karen's. <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a prominent, a prominent theme on the Ben Jarofsky show. That moment in the show where Romana throws various people under the bus. <laughs> Gwyneth Palaf usually gets uh, heaved under there, uh, but just white women behaving badly is um, a topic we've discussed a lot over the year, and that yeah. pretty much sums up Karen's. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, so like a lot of white women always try to put themselves in the category of people of color, and I'm not saying I, they do have it harder than white men. I'm not saying that. But a lot of times, you know, as a lot of people have noticed, white women are the ones perpetuating these problems that we're talking about. And it's really funny. I mean, as someone, um, a person of color who's grown up, um, you know, if a lot of white women, if they look at me, they sometimes assume I don't talk English. So they talk to me like a stereotypical Karen would. Um, This has happened to me during the pandemic um, when I was when they were asking some, some stores were asking people to put gloves on. And I remember um, being <laughs> at a, a grocery store and I forgot to pick up the gloves. I had my mask on, I had everything. And this woman like, you know, looks at me. She was like an old Karen and she's like, did you see the sign? Go put your gloves on. And then I'm like, okay. And then she's like watching me the whole time to make sure I put my gloves on. And then I put them on and then she like walks away. She was like, it was just a very Karen-esque moment. Wait, then- I've... Go ahead. No, I've never heard you tell a story about uh, people who assume you don't speak English. Yeah, that happens a lot because I'm a person of color and I'm brown. So people think that I don't know English. And I've seen I've seen people treat my mom that way, too, because my mom, when she talks English, it is it is clear that it's not her the first language that she knows. So people do talk to her like, you know, if I see her being treated like that, I show up and then I start talking. And then, you know, the the tone that the person is using totally changes. So you kind of, as someone of color and who had parents who had accents or, you know, my mom, my father could speak English perfectly, but, you know, he had an accent and my mother, you know, her her English, she, like I said, it's, you, it's clear it's not her first language. Um, I saw the way people treated them if I wasn't standing there or if I wasn't saying anything, it, it, they are treated a different way. So sometimes people think that I don't know English either. And a lot of times it's Karen S kind of people. Um, and then they'll talk to you in a very condescending tone, like, and then they make, they talk down to you and like give you orders and tell you how to do things. So it's happened to me. It happens a lot. Um, and then I was telling you like off air just last week. Um, I know we were talking about how I, throw Mick Dumkey, my husband, under the bus a lot, but I'm nice to him too. So he really <laughs> likes bagels. And um, if you, you since you, you've been to Lincolnwood before, um, it has one of the best bagel shops, New York Bagels. Oh, I've yeah. Been- oh, on Tui. Yeah. So uh, I stopped yeah. by my mom's house to run an errand or something. I was, I try to get um, six bagels from Mick because he likes eating them. Um so I, I stop in. It's just really funny. They usually have a long line and you can only have six people inside the store right now. And it was really funny. So I saw like four or five people inside the store and I stood outside. I'm like, you know, even if it's a low number, I'm just going to wait. And my younger sister was at like a Mexican store next door getting um, tres leches cake for my mom. And so I'm like, I'm outside. I waited for four people to leave. So then I go inside and my sister came by that point. There's like four people in the store. That's less than six people. And then these like, maybe it was like three people in the store. And then these two other Asian women came in. They're East Asian. And then there's one guy in the store. He's like looking at us, the, the Asians. And he's like, what do you guys need to leave? There's too many people in the store. And then I'm like, I, <laughs> I told him like waited for a couple people before even before there's and then he counted and then he's like oh you're right <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but 
I, and then I, it was really funny. Right when he said that, my younger sister's like, God, what a Karen. It's it's kind of funny. And my family tends to overuse the word Karen, too. We use it against each other, too. Over the summer, my um, nephew went to go get ice cream. They were sitting outside, and my uh, sister, they, the order was wrong. So my sister-in-law is like, let me go talk to the manager and, like, let them know. And then my, my nephew, this one nephew is 11. He's like, God, Mom, stop being a Karen. So... By the way, are you sure that stretch of, I know this is like a tangent within a tangent and only you and I would follow, but are you sure that stretch of Tui where the bagel place is Lincolnwood is it, or is it Skokie? No, it's Lincolnwood. She's very no. defensive about her hometown. I'm a big fan of Skokie as well. And because no. the movie theaters around the corner, isn't that in Skokie? No, I think that that might even, I think that could be Niles, but I'll double check. It's a very, double check. That, it's a New York bagel. I can tell you there is a New York bagel in, there's a, a they have a little like um, wing that's in Skokie and Dempster. Dempster. But the, actual, but the actual New York bagel, like where everybody goes, a 24 hour place. And I don't know if the other place is 24 hour is in Lincolnwood. I know that for a fact. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. I'm New York bagel. Okay. That was like a aberrant issue. It's like a great place to go. I recommend it for anybody. It's awesome. I love it. And right across the street is one of my favorite Greek restaurants. Oh, that's I love cool. this stretch of, I always thought it was Skokie, but I guess it's Lincolnwood. I love this stretch. There's that Greek restaurant, uh, Danny Miopolis. If you're listening, we're going to go there as soon as the, uh, oh, uh, I- pan- I've been there during the pandemic. We sat outside, me and my friends. To the Greek restaurant? Uh-huh. Zisteria. Oh, you sat in that little boot, uh, that little, it's like a, what is it? Like a, they have a tent outside. They had a tent outside. A tent, yes. Yeah. yeah. It was a cold, um, cold day, and me and my friends, we all went. We were wearing our coats, and my younger sister was with me, too. So we all hung. I, I mean, I go to that restaurant often. All right. Uh, so before we leave the grim conversation, though, we kind of stra- uh, strayed from it a bit to talk about my favorite restaurants in Lincolnwood. Oh, which all the time I thought was Skokie. I apologize to the whole town of Lincolnwood. I um, though I still believe that that movie theater I love so much isn't Skokie, but be that as it may. Skokie or Niles, but it's not. That's not Lincolnwood. But I that's not. Yeah, it's It's I think it's Carpenter Road. Anyway, neither here nor there. Focus, Ben. Focus. Um, obviously, uh, twenty twenty. So much of twenty twenty uh, is about death, and I want to give a shout out to my dear friend, our dear friend, uh, Marino Donald, the greatest obituary writer uh, in the city of Chicago. One of the best in the in the country. She's a regular on the show. We were not able to do our annual uh, year of death and review. I know it sounds really morbid, Romana, but it's a very fun show to do with Maureen. Anyway, Maureen, hope you're feeling better really soon and we'll get that show in just as soon as you can. But um, so much death in 2020 uh, on a personal level. My father died. Dennis's dad died. But just beyond us, just our uh, I mean, just 330,000 Americans killed by COVID. Uh, it just seems like we were surrounded by death this year, Romana. I know, I know. And and just me personally, my brother-in-law lost his father, couldn't go to India for the funeral. I had a family friend who passed away of COVID. So it's just like this this pandemic has touched everyone. My brother actually had COVID. Um, he, he had really mild symptoms, thank God. Um, he's okay, but... It's something that's touched all of us, death or this this virus in some way. Um, yeah, there were a lot of deaths this year. Um, I was looking at the AP rundown of of everyone notable. You know, when I mean notable, I mean everybody's notable. But you know, the celebrities, the big names, 
there were a lot of names this year. Um, and it's all started. I mean, one of the big names that started with me was Kobe Bryant's death yeah. January. Um, um, I know we talked a little bit about which ones hit us the most and I'm sure it's all generational, but like, I know we talked about Chadwick Boseman. That was mm-hmm. a hard hitting one because, you know, we saw him as a rising star and um, Ma Rainey's black bottom, which you and I both saw. I mean, when you watch that movie, you looked at him, you could tell that, you know, now that we know that he had cancer, it's like, you look at him and you're like, God, he lost weight compared to, um, you know, what was the movie black Panther. Yeah. And uh, I'm like forgetting the movie that put it, you know, really put him up there. And it's like, he was really getting to be one of those actors that we knew. And he was just, he was just, he was just symbol of hope, I think for a lot of people. And we're talking about, you know, uplifting African-American, the African-American community. He was kind of all about that. And he was just a talent to be seen. So I think that one hit kind of hard. Kobe hit me hard. I don't even watch basketball that much, but you know, I have a brother that watches sports and I think he's Kobe was only a few years younger than me. So I remember when he got signed and he was like all the big deal and the rage. So it it was, that was kind of hard. Um, Eddie Van Halen was another one that touched a lot of Gen Xers. Um, I wasn't a huge, I'm not a huge Van Halen fan, but I do like a lot of Van Halen songs. It's just a lot of names. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was another one. John Lewis, um, there's other people like that passed away that just like for like various reasons just kind of hit me. Like, I don't, I don't know if you watch, you never watched Glee, did you? No, I never watched Glee. Uh, I'm a fan of Ryan Murphy, who is the producer of Glee, uh, but I've never seen Glee. I've never seen it myself either. And I don't even know the show, but that one actress, Naya Rivera, like she died in a drowning yeah. event, And that just broke my heart because her son was on the boat and yeah. And it just, that one kind of just hit hard. Um, you know, there's other notables like Kelly Preston, actress, actor, I should say. Um, um, and then there was like, you know, a lot of locals like Gail Sayers. I know yeah. that's one of the ones that you probably, did you watch him play even? Yeah, I'm way, again, I'm a generation older than Mick, uh, who will probably get thrown out of the bus a couple more times before the show's over. But uh, <laughs> so I watched Gail Sayers uh, and there are two deaths sports-related Chicagoans uh, or Chicago sports uh, figures that really impacted me. One, Gail Sayers, which was, I, I mean, I hate to say it was expected, but I had heard that he was in bad shape. But, um, Ramon, I know you're not a big football fan, but Gail Sayers, he was, he had such a, uh, it was a tragic career in many ways because he was so talented. He was one of the most explosive and exciting running backs I, the world had ever seen. Uh, and then as, in, I think his fourth year in the league, he had uh, his knee was ripped apart uh, on field injury uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. And he never was the same. So it was like cut short. It was like a great career cut short, which only added to just the legacy of Gail Sayers. And uh, for a young, I was a kid, just moved to Evanston and was absorbing Chicago sports. And the Gail Sayers was right at the top. And so my whole life, and then, you know, I was loving Gail Sayers and he was, they made a movie out of his friendship with Brian Piccolo, which only added to the legacy. Um, Brian's Brian's song. Yeah. And so, yeah, Gail Sayers, tremendous. And the other one, I don't know if this made an impact on you at all. Uh, You were probably way too young, but uh, Dick Allen, who played for the White Sox, 
it's hard. And you're a Cub fan, so you wouldn't. It's hard to explain the love that White Sox fans of my age have for Dick Allen. He was only in town for three years, but he pretty much saved, in my humble opinion, the White Sox may have left town. They Hardly anyone was going to their games in the early 70s, Romana. Dick Allen came. He made him exciting. People started going again. Uh, he, he was only here for three years. He was such an exciting player. So, And I was in high school. I loved the guy. So, yeah, when your childhood sports heroes die, it's it just kind of brings it home oh my god we don't last forever ramana <laughs> oh, yeah. ale sayer saying i don't know if i've mentioned this before on the show or not but my dad performed uh, a minor surgical surgical operation on him or some surgical procedure my dad passed away too hmm. exactly and so i for some reason i connect gail sayers with my father so it, i remember no, my dad didn't know anything about the NFL, but he knew who Gil Sayers or it's just like, yeah, once he was a patient of mine. And I know Mick is like, are you, is that even like, are you supposed to say that? Like, isn't it um, patient, doctor patient confidentiality? I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. My dad didn't say anything except he performed like a minor. <laughs> so, you know, there's random things that remind me of my dad. I know we talked about how I watched the Bee Gees documentary. My dad, for some reason, always Whenever Saturday Night Fever was on TV, he'd be watching it. I have no idea why. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, random things remind me of my dad. So, Gail Sayers, when that happened, I just thought of my dad. It was um, one of those things. But, yeah, there was a lot of people who passed away. I mean, there's probably a lot of, like, boomer um, actors who died, right? Like, the guy who played Eddie Haskell died, too. Yeah, Eddie. Ha oh my God, Eddie Haskell. Let's really throw uh, Mick under the bus. Uh, many years ago, I, I, I wrote a column uh, where I mentioned that Eddie Haskell. I was having uh, lunch with Mick, and he goes, "Who?" He didn't know who Eddie Haskell was. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Eddie, what a legendary character from Leave It to Beaver. I would have to say, uh, even though she was eighty whatever years old and had cancer. Uh, in many ways, politically speaking, the most traumatic death of this year was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yeah. uh, because, of course, the Republicans, hypocrites that they are, this is me speaking, not uh, Ramana Hussein, uh, utter hypocrites that they are, took the opportunity to reverse all the rules uh, that they had established in regards to the pride and joy of Niles West, Lincolnwood's own uh, Merrick Garland, uh, would kept him off the Supreme Court. People say that the two greatest graduates of Niles West are Merrick Garland and Ramana Hussein. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> like um, around the block from me, less than like you could walk. It'll take me 30 seconds to walk to his house. No, I know. I just think about that a lot. It's like what a difference in, in Lincolnwood between what he probably graduated in around 66 or so. And, you know, by the Lincolnwood today, you know what I'm saying? Lincolnwood has got to be one of the most diverse communities uh, in Chicago. Well, Skokie's pretty diverse too, but, uh, Lincoln, the thing with Lincolnwood is it's like a tiny time compared to Skokie. It's so much smaller, but there's a lot of, a lot of famous people that there come out of, um, Lincolnwood. Okay. They're the only famous person out of Lincolnwood, uh, other than Merrick Garland is the quarterback who used to play for the St. Louis Cardinals. Actually, that's not true. Richard Mendenhall is pretty famous, he, he, but he's not from Lincolnwood. He's from Skokie. Oh, is he? Did he go to Niles West? He went, uh, uh, but Lincoln was just one of the few uh, neighborhoods that went into the guy, the guy, the guy tied to the college uh, testing scandal. He was from Lincolnwood. 
Yes. Papadopoulos. Yes, George Papadopoulos, uh, also in the news. Uh, God, here we are on a tangent of Lincolnwood again. All right. Folk, anyway, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So um, that, you know, I was like, Ruth, couldn't you last till January 23rd or something? You know, I mean, that I feel like a, a lot of people – and you have two thoughts when it was a, a person that old and who's battling cancer dies. One thought it's like, you know, they're maybe they're out of their uh, pain and it's a, it's a better thing or, you know, that attitude. Uh, and then but the other attitude is two more months, you know, I know that was like, the it's there's just a lot of deaths. And that was one that I think struck hit a lot of people, especially in this country, given the political climate right now, but just a lot of names. I mean, I know we were talking about Irfan Khan a few days ago um, or a few shows ago. He was like a famous Indian actor that passed away. And um, when he died, um, he's like one of those actors that he did some Western movies too, but he was a very good character actor. So if you watched any Indian movies, especially what they're called art films, not stereotypical like Bollywood uh, production numbers, um, he was like just a great actor. So uh, I know a lot of people were kind of bummed out by that. And it's just been one of those years. Yeah, uh, we yeah, We just talked about it. We uh, saw that movie. Um, all right. Uh, now we're each step of the way. We'll be moving a little further away from grimness, but we're still sort of in the grim country, at least for me anyway. Donald John Trump. Uh, this uh, touch wood, in my humble opinion, again, this is me speaking, not Romana. Uh, Donald John Trump's presidency will end in January. And uh, I presume that Tuesday's attempt or Wednesday's attempted coup in, in Congress will not be successful as uh, this, the Republican senators and congressmen tr- attempt to um, challenge the veracity, the validity of the, um, the election in November. Uh, your general thoughts, Romana, we've talked so much about Donald Trump uh, over the last year. Your, ge- your general thoughts about the Trump legacy. I I think it's a legacy where a lot of people would like to forget. I mean, maybe some people would like to remember, but I don't know. In some ways it's, it's, it's four years like that people found really hard and it was a lot of, it was a lot of struggle for a lot of people. Um, But I think it's also a lesson for a lot of people about the fact that we're not infallible as a country. I think a lot of times, you know, we, people have been talked about American exceptionalism and, and, and I hope I'm using the right term, but how we're just so much better than everyone else. And, you know, we've always laughed at other leaders in the country. And here we had this guy that got elected and it just it just made you kind of aware of a lot of things. Um, and I know we, we talked about Black Lives Matter, but for me, um, it just showed me how a lot in this country really hasn't changed in terms of the way people really think. And I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people have thought about just white supremacy since Donald Trump has been in office and how a lot of people really want to cling on to that. And I know a lot of people, this is something that they know, you know, and I know this too in the back of my mind, but it was something that you think that people could move forward to, but it, it really isn't. And it showed you just how the country really is. I felt like it it held a mirror to our faces. And I I think it just shows that we can't be lax and we always have to hold people accountable. And that doesn't mean 
just have to up or we can't be lazy or just we can't we and and you aren't I know you aren't and um, I'm not going to speak for myself I know I can work harder at a lot of things but I just think that we have to always remember to hold people accountable and I know we do as journalists but just as people as human beings and just be aware I think people need to really be politically aware and and I guess you could argue that a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump are politically aware but I think it's just a wake-up call for us if anything one of the things we talked a lot about over the last year, Romana, is the uh, relationship between uh, journalists and Donald Trump uh, and the fact that in some ways it was a reckoning moment and journalists felt a greater freedom uh, to speak out against what they were uh, seeing with Donald Trump. I know I'm talking now about reporters from uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the more conventional mainstream papers, really made an effort uh, to clarify when Donald Trump was lying, which is a lot. Yeah. Uh, And I've never seen reporters so overtly position that. Uh, they felt compelled. They had to, because there's a tendency uh, among journalists to uh, say, well, on one hand, this is what he says. And on another hand, this is what Billy Bob says. Well, if one of the two people is just blatantly lying, then that's not fair. You, that's not accurate. And I feel as though journalists, this was a breakthrough year or a breakthrough four years, I should say. Uh, for journalists in, in that's one thing uh, that I would have to say, a, I guess I would call it a positive, if you will, uh, impact of Donald Trump's lying. Your thoughts. I do think, I do think it's made a, a lot of journalists. I'm not saying that they weren't working hard before, but it did make journalists remember why they're journalists. Um, you know, the funny thing is you mentioned that about the Washington post and New York times, you know, I think that was it the Washington post that had a tally of what every time Donald Trump lied, I forgot yeah. what, it was but um i've heard actually a lot of criticism the other way a lot of people felt like reporters were being too nice to donald trump's administration you know playing the you know they said it was a false equivalency i i've seen a lot of criticism on twitter where people are saying why don't you just call donald trump out you know people felt like there some journalists weren't speaking out enough so i saw the criticism the other way but they're definitely i think it, you know if you and i both probably consume more news than other people do um i think if you looked for it you did see the people criticizing donald trump there were people out there criticizing donald trump i think what a lot of people found frustrating at least in terms of reporting is the fact that you know i know a lot of people were criticizing like why are donald trump supporters treated like they're so different and special and all these like think pieces about them. And, and I'm not saying that they can't be treated like human beings, but they felt like, you know, there was just way too much coverage on them and excusing their behavior and like trying to come up with, well, it's because of this. And it's because of that. When a lot of people felt like it, 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 it was like, it was just way too much coverage on that. That's what I, that's what the feeling I get, at least from people in my circles, but I, I do think it has, I know it's helped the news business. Um, I know like for like a lot of nonprofit organizations, including ProPublica, where my husband works, it's helped them. It's helped them. They think people out and I think it really helped a lot of nonprofits where people are like, okay, I really want to support journalism 
I don't know if, it, you know, I know sometimes we're, supposed, we're still existing, but I think it is helping people realize that you do need journalism if you want your democracy to be a strong one and you want your journalists to be watchdogs. So I think, I think people are realizing the importance of journalists. And, and I'm not saying we're perfect. We have a lot of flaws. Um, I can criticize my own company. I criticize other mainstream media organizations all the time. But I do think people realize that we do need journalists and why we need journalists. I think that's what you said. It's one of the benefits. The last four years have shown why good journalism is important. Yeah. Uh, and one one um, uh, practice of journalism that has not changed in the Trump era is the uh, refusal of journalists working journalists to say who they voted for. I tease Romana about this all the time and Maya as well. Uh, they they get mad at me. So who would you vote for? I'm not telling you. So Romana, are you sticking to that? Or are you going to yeah, reveal? I, I think I am. But I think anybody who listens to the show or anybody who knows me, I mean, I could walk down the street and people probably know I didn't vote for Trump. <laughs> Uh, unless you were really weird and self-hating, uh, you did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, it's a little different for me, but I, I love teasing Maya in particular about it from, because she's so, she's like, she tells you exactly how she's feeling on every freaking issue that matters to her. And then you go, well, so Maya, who'd you vote for? I'm not telling you that. Anyway, yeah, there's I'm a couple of journalist. things journalists just won't do. Like they'll yeah. do everything, but they just won't do that. They won't do that. That's a line uh, too it's far. Like All right, uh, I'm going to move on to uh, our favorite stories of the year that we covered, and um, I have to admit, uh, as the year comes to an end, that I took great delight. Uh, in our Smollett Gate coverage, which we is not as heavy. It was more of a 2019 conversation for Romana, Hussein and Ben Jarofsky, but it carried over into this year as well, Romana, because there were the Kim Fox election. Uh, she won the primary and the general and the obsession that Chicago had with that story uh, and the way in which whatever Cora MAGA supporters we have in this town, tr try to use it to unseat uh, Kim Fox was almost impressive. Uh, I thought it was really bizarre and twisted and uh, over-exaggerated. Um, but the story itself was just so rich and revealing in many ways, uh, particularly our obsession with celebrity. Uh, so I have to admit, in a perverse, weird, almost embarrassed way, that was my favorite story of the year. Do you have a favorite story as well? I don't know. I'm trying to think. There's just so many stories. I mean, um, I'm I'm trying to think. There's got to be one story that I really that really popped out. What about Spilett Gate? You wouldn't put that at the top well, of the list. I I don't know. I mean, I think I think the presidential election was something, but that wasn't a local story. I'm trying to think of a local story. I think a lot of the pandemic coverage, um, I don't know if it was my favorite story, but just a lot of the, uh, you know, Lori Lightfoot doing her like little, like her little ads and her little PSAs. I think those were kind of interesting. I'm trying to think, um, there's just like a lot of like mini stories that kind of stuck out for me. I'm trying to think like locally, cause we usually do like a whole local uh, roundup of important stories that happened in Chicago. And I'm trying to think, I mean, there's just so much that happened since the beginning of the year. Even Blagojevich was pardoned this year. I didn't even know that happened this year. 
Um, that's not one of my favorite stories, but um, I don't know. I should have thought about that. Sorry. I was like, well, here's a story that's breaking as we speak. Uh, someone sent this to Frank. Uh, shout out to Frank. Just sent this to me. Lightfoot releases some emails related to botched Anjanette Young raid. And uh, oh, yeah. so that's the Mick, story. I think Mick, you won. We had this uh, over under bet. We knew Lori Lightfoot. I, this is a conversation I had with Mick. We knew Lori. Okay. Follow me on this. So uh, the Anjanette Young raid, uh, there were emails that Lori Lightfoot had to reveal. And we were, everybody was waiting for her to reveal the, uh, the emails. We knew if she followed Rom's practice, she would dump those emails at the most inopportune time possible for the reporters who would have to sift through those emails, meaning it would either be Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day. She couldn't wait till like January 6th when the reporters had all their time to spend with their family. So I just saw this headline. I haven't had a chance to read it. Just broken the bright one, the Sun-Times. I, I saw that too actually right before i came in and the reporter said hey the story's in and i was like oh well like i gotta i gotta go so um i did see that i uh yeah so i just have to say uh mick it was january 30th she gave reporter 24 hours but that's just some of the emails so i guess it's uh, I think it was Dennis who said it was going to be a New Year's Eve drop. So he wins the coveted uh, day uh, <laughs> when Lori makes life miserable. Some things never change, Ramana. One thing uh, that never really changes in this town is sort of like the general kind of hostility that mayors have toward the press corps. Uh, it's It seems to be picking up a little bit with Lori Lightfoot. You know, I think a lot of reporters were just so happy that she wasn't Rom. A lot of Chicagoans were just so happy she wasn't Rom, and that carried her through the first year or so. Seems to, uh, patience on both sides uh, seems to be running thin. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, it's kind of like the back and forth that she went with this story, you know, with this case saying that, you know, she didn't know about it, then saying, oh, yeah, I was, I did know a little bit about it. And then uh, denying that, you know, she was trying to keep the story away from, you know, CBS2, which is the one that we should give credit to for breaking the story, um, the keeping it from them. And then she admitted that, yeah, we tried to help hold things back. So I think it's a back and forth. And so a lot of people feel like, really, what is the difference between you and Rom? So there is a lot of, um, sort of, you know, anger, rightfully so, about, like, what exactly, you know, has she divulged about this case and and just being forthcoming and revealing about what exactly had happened with this case and why did they go to this home, why did this raid happen, and went to, you know, this is a social worker who wasn't supposed to be, you know, have the raid at her house. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are asking that question, like, is, you know, people, Lori Lightfoot ran on the, on a campaign that she was very progressive. She was going to change things. Um, and then a lot of people feel like it's like the who song where it's like meet the bo- new boss. It's the same as the old boss. Yeah. Uh, same as the old boss. And uh, that's particularly been the case. A lot of people and speaking for myself, very disappointed by uh, how Lori Lightfoot has handled uh, the release of the footage uh, regarding the police raid at Anjanette Young's home, uh, just how she's handled, her administration has handled that case from start to finish, including with the obvious, would I call it lying? If it was Donald Trump, they would say it was lying. Uh, her press statements about what she knew and when she knew it. So it's very upsetting. Let's hope she uh, does better in 2021. All right. Uh, every 
Friday when you come to the show, we do Romana's recommendations. So let's talk about Romana's recommendations from the year 2020, uh, the year that was. Do you have any like three favorite or four favorite? I, I, I know you probably have one favorite film of the year. You probably like that um, that Hallmark movie. <laughs> <laughs> but mine, mine, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I was watching a lot of um, shows this year. I feel like there was a lot of good movies. I saw, um, and there's still actually a couple movies. I'm like reading a lot of, uh, Mick and I have been reading a lot of like end of the year lists. And some movies actually haven't streamed yet. So I'm kind of thinking I won't have a favorite movie until I see all of these movies. Um, I did like uh, The Five Bloods. Um, I know you don't like Mink that much. I did like it, but I wasn't like overwhelmingly bowled over. Um, I like the 40 year old version. Uh, I do want to see, I do want to see this movie called Minari. It's about this Korean immigrant family that uh, moves to Arkansas. It's based on the filmmakers or their producer. I think it's a filmmaker's own life and everybody's raving about it. I don't know. I don't know if you watch The Walking Dead, but the actor who plays Glenn on it, he's like, I think his name is Stephen Wen. Uh, I think that's who probably pronounced his last name, but everybody's saying that he's like, does an excellent job. And that's one of the best movies of the year. I know you saw The Assistant. I want to see that. I heard that's really good. Um, there's this other movie called First Cow that everybody's saying is yeah. really good. So I haven't seen that. And then this weekend, probably tomorrow on New Year's Eve, I'm probably going to watch Soul. Uh, I do want to watch Soul. So I'm borrowing, um, uh, <laughs> using a friend's uh, Disney Plus account that he has for his child. He let me he let me jump on. And I know we talked about this, Ben, but um, me and my Indian friends and my friend said, that it's not just Indians. I go, well, maybe it's a generational thing. Cause it I is so like, not just Indians. And I go, maybe it's like, and my younger sister is like, you might be right about the generational thing. Cause she said that, you know, she works with a lot of former, she's an investigator for the state of Illinois. And she said, a lot of the cops are like, it's like stealing, but even Netflix makes fun of it. They're every time one of their specials come on, they're like, Hey, everybody share your passwords. Like we're going to have this come on. Um, on TV, on, on TV soon or on Netflix soon. I also like Steve McQueen's uh, anthology, mm. uh, Small Axe. Small Axe. Mm-hmm. But um, I was going to tell you, there's this one movie, the second one in the anthology that's called uh, Lover's Rock. It's been, everybody's been raving about it. I think Roger Ebert, the, his website called it the number one movie of the year. The Tribune critic Michael Phillips called it the number one film of the year. Barack Obama had it on his list. I know you saw it. I saw it too. I, I thought it was good. I, I know why people liked it, but I wasn't that bowled over by it. It was like a slice of life. And I know why people liked it because it was showing like these, this West Indies community and people, you know, young people having fun and it was just a party and it was a snapshot of that. I just felt like I wanted something to happen. And I was like, why is this the best movie of the year? I mean, I love, I like Steve McQueen. I, I think he's done a, I thought his the first part of his anthology called mangrove it's like on the west indies um london community the west the london west indies community uh chicago seven but it was like mm-hmm. i think it was nine of them yeah but i never knew this happened so i i love that one the best so far i have one more to go but i don't know i was a little disappointed at lover's rock i know you said you really liked it love it i love lover's rock uh, but i wouldn't put it on my uh best of the year that's not to take anything away from it uh, but i love it and i urge everybody to watch it it's different 
uh, it's not a conventional movie. It's almost like a documentary uh, and that they're documenting a party that takes place in the seventies. So I can relate in a lot of ways from a generational standpoint. Uh, and I, We'd love to do a deep dive on that movie, actually, uh, sometime uh, in the 2020, uh, 2021. I got to tell you, the most enjoyable experience I had um, watching the boob tube this year, and that's what I did, basically, because as of March, I haven't gone to a movie. I haven't not literally gone to a movie since I used to go every weekend almost, uh, and uh, including that my beloved movie theater in Skokie, where that was the last movie I saw was at that theater. And, um, but my, I think it's a really tough battle between, um, the last dance and Queen's Gambit, but those are, those are movies. Those no, are- I know. I know. I, I, I know. That's why I said boob tube experiences. Oh, okay. You okay. know, okay. I did. I did love the last dance. Yeah. It was just so much fun to me. Every Sunday, I'd be looking forward to the release of the next uh, episode. And so I guess I have to go with that number one, though. Queen's Gamut, I enjoyed that one so much. The chess movie and or the chess series. Uh, and I got to give a huge shout out to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. As terms of conventional movie, my favorite movie oh, of the year. That was that was really good. Uh, Chadwick Boseman and um, Viola da- Viola Davis, folks. Oh, she was great. She, just unbelievable. Conjures up sort of like a Denzel Washington character. It was just amazing uh, watching her go through that. Uh, so here's the movie I'm going to tell you that I'll be watching on New Year's Eve. Uh, it's called Sylvie's Love. I don't know if you've heard about it. Oh yeah, yeah. A friend of mine. A friend of mine was telling me about it. Um, he liked it. <laughs> And I said that, um, are you, sh- are you, did you really like it? Cause I don't know if I heard mixed reviews on it, but I, I heard, I, I don't mind watching. I got to see what people are going to say about it. It's, it's a love story, right? Yes. It's a love story with, and it's set in the sixties and it's got yeah. my kind of music. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it's on prime. Uh, my daughters have recommended to me. They said, I'll absolutely love it. So that's what my wife and I are going to be doing on new year's Eve. What big uh, plans do you have for new year's Ramana? <laughs> Probably sitting at home watching Soul, watching something with Mick. Um, we wanted to both watch Soul, so that is something we're probably going to both do. Right, well. I don't know. I can't. I can't. Mick can fall. Mick can fall asleep pretty quickly. I know I'll stay up until midnight at least. I do. Oh, yeah. So I'll try to make Mick stay up too. Yeah, make him stay up. Come on, Nick. Um, all right, well, I'll figure out how to watch Soul. I think this may be the year. Two resolutions. Mon, I already told you one. I'm going to get a new monitor for my computer so I have a camera in it so you can see me uh, starting next year when we do our Google Meet conversations. And this is the year that I finally get a streaming service uh, that enables me uh, to watch all basketball games, and I will – probably get Disney on it. So I'll be able to see soul, which is everybody's been raving about it. Uh, Monroe came in. Have you seen soul yet? No, I don't have Disney. So um, that's my resolution uh, for the new year. So uh, Romana stay safe and sound and I hope you have a great new year's and I'll talk to you next Friday. All right. Yeah. Here's guys. That's great. Romana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.